0: Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I had a great conversation with Elaine Jacques, the leadership coach, about conversational awareness and about how to tap into the power of assessments. Welcome to The Indispensables. Today, I have Elaine Jacques. She's a leadership development coach. She's an expert on conversational intelligence, on body language, uh, the disk assessment profiling system, which I love profiling tools. She's a leadership coach and a leadership expert. Elaine Jacques, welcome to The Indispensables.
1: Thank you so much, Bruce. It is my honor to be here.
0: How did you get to where you are?
1: Well, I I think like some people, not like everybody, I took kind of a wandering path getting where I am. I like to say that I apparently think that you should have a different career for every decade of life and I'm working on that. So
0: one career per decade. So how did you spend your teenage years? <laughs>
1: I apparently gave myself a career off for my my childhood, but I actually started in my, what I like to say was my first career teaching English as a foreign language in Taiwan when I was 18. So my teenage, yes, my teenage years did include that. I did give my mother a heart attack, I think, and shortened her life thanks to that. But I had a great time.
0: (laughs) Teaching English as a second language in Taiwan. So did you pick up some Chinese while you were there?
1: I did. I actually got a Chinese tutor because I wanted to have empathy for what my students were going through. And I have to say, Chinese grammar is a lot easier than English grammar. So I I actually prefer Chinese in in that regard.
0: And that's a heck of a, a life skill to be able to converse in Chinese.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I, I will say it's been a while since I was 18. So unfortunately, I have forgotten a lot of it. But I do surprise people now and then popping out with something Chinese. So.
0: And how long were you in Taiwan?
1: I was there almost a year. I went there after I graduated from high school and before I started my bachelor's program.
0: Got it. And then so then uh, so you come back, uh, you're wizened by your year uh, of teaching English and learning Chinese in Taiwan. You go to school. And what was your career of your 20s?
1: So my next career is what I like to call my sort of basket of all things. I did administrative assistant and HR and payroll and marketing and event planning. I was a wedding planner. I was a wedding photographer. And so I did a whole bunch of different things during that time frame and found that I kept wanting more of a challenge. And so I was encouraged by people in my environment to pursue my third career, which was to become a medical speech language pathologist.
0: So, so I don't know how many decades uh, we have uh, (laughs) that we're talking about here, but in your 20s, you did a whole bunch of things, which I call, you know, people ask me, what did I do in my 20s? And I say, I ran around and did what the grownups told me. (laughs) But, 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 you know, like when I was a young lawyer, that's what I did. I ran around and did what the grownups told me. You learn a lot. By running around and and just making stuff happen, I always tell people, beware of somebody who's only had fancy internships and has never like uh, uh, moved boxes from one side of a warehouse to another or whatever those jobs are in your 20s. You learn like about the work part of work.
1: Absolutely. I, I will tell you, I've skipped over the fact that I babysat a lot of children and also cleaned houses when I was in high school as well. So work ethic is something that you learn and you grow through. And as I told my little brother, I said, some jobs, their sole purpose in life is to help you understand why you go to school so you don't have to do those jobs anymore.
0: And then you studied uh, speech and language pathology, and 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 then your. How long did you work as a speech and language pathologist?
1: I oh, I actually drifted into my 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 fourth decade with speech pathology, and that I I did speech pathology for sixteen years.
0: But by, by the way, the lesson for everyone here is turn every experience into a building block.
1: Absolutely. Everything that I have ever done has taught me things. And I will tell you, it has given me in my speech pathology career, it's given me ways to connect with people that I might not be able to otherwise, you know, patients, patients, families, doctors, nurses, all the medical staff that I worked with, just all those experiences gave me little points of connection with people that made it so much easier to build those relationships that were important for me to be successful in that career. So absolutely, I think take advantage of life, be a part of our amazing world and find ways to connect with people.
0: And how did you end up coaching leaders?
1: So that's been my fourth career. I'm 47 years old. I'm not one of these women who says I'm 21 forever. So sorry. To everyone who does that, I, I appreciate you as well. But so I'm 47. I have been doing coaching for almost five years now, and I step lightly into this one because out of all due respect for people who have had individuals that are important to them in, in the hospital setting, there comes a point where in healthcare, it starts to take a little bit more from you than you can rejuvenate easily. And so the majority of conversations I had with patients and their families in the hospital setting was about end of life concerns. And a large portion of my role was was working with patients who were starting to have difficulty swallowing. And so the conversations surrounded topics such as whether or not we want to do a feeding tube or hospice. And those were conversations that I am honored to have been a part of and to help people move forward with dignity. But it became harder and harder for me to sort of recapture the zest for life in between those conversations.
0: But you're using your expertise in that setting, if I understand correctly, is it that, gosh, people are getting to a point in their own health journey where they're having a hard time talking?
1: Yes, yes. But weirdly, even though I'm a speech therapist, most of what I did was with swallowing disorders in the hospital. So uh, while I did work with some people about their speech and language difficulties, it was the majority of it was what's called dysphagia or swallowing difficulties.
0: So what do you learn from those kinds of experiences, those kinds of interactions? I mean, that must just be uh, sharing that with someone, going through that with someone. Obviously, it took a lot out of you.
1: What, What I have learned that I have brought forward into my coaching career is just that sense of if there's something you want to do, don't wait, because regret is the most painful thing that anyone can go through.
0: Because you're seeing people at that stage of their life, at that stage of their health journey, uh, you start to realize, wow, uh, you better make the most of every minute. And so, of course, I'm sure those were building blocks uh, that you take into your leadership coaching. But part of what I'm hearing you say is, um, man, I need to do something different in decade four.
1: Yes, absolutely. So that is what brought me looking at how can I use everything that I have learned so far to be able to help people jump the hurdle into what really lights them up and makes them thrive. And so that introduced me to the concept of coaching. And I thought, I get to work with people who, and I'm going to say this very gently, but I get to work with people who are still going to live after I work with them and how exciting it is to be able to see someone go on and do incredible things. And for me, that's a part of my legacy is every person whose life I touch, who goes on to do amazing things. I get to say, I had a little tiny piece of that.
0: Do you use the DISC assessment in your coaching? Yes. What is the perspective that, that um, is especially uh, within the DISC assessment?
1: What I like to say is what the DISC is all about. It's our communication tendencies. How do we usually show up? Not always, of course, because we all have various moods and things, but how do we show up in... How does that make a difference in how we connect with other people in in our work settings or in our personal settings? And that for me, coming out of speech pathology was very exciting to learn. I have taken a really wide variety of of assessments and I love learning about myself and just what, what makes me tick and what makes other people light up and how can I connect with them better and being able to help other people have that slightly more open perspective of This is how I usually communicate, but I'm not really being effective with this other person. And I wonder why that is. Well, how about we have a little peek into what is that difference and how can we bridge that gap?
0: Can can you walk me through a disc?
1: So the four types are what the title is. So DISC stands for there's there's the D, which is a lot of people think of like dominance or driver or director. You know you can kind of pick your own D word, but those are various terms I've heard for that. And then I is more interactive, someone who's very social and connective with other people. The S is someone who is social but is very very concerned about those relationships. Tends to be a little bit more reserved, more uh, stable or steady, conscientious, I believe are the terms that are frequently used for that. And the C is someone you can think of as consistent, very uh, focused on details and um, getting things correct. These are very accurate and detail oriented people. So I will, I will tell you, since you're probably curious, um, (laughs) is that my disc type happens to be all capital letters. And it's a little unusual because I'm three of them. The disc is typically broken down into one that you express, which is represented by a capital letter, and one that is a secondary for you, which is represented by a lowercase letter. And my three, all uppercase, no lowercase, is that I am an ICS. So how I show up will depend on the conversation and who I'm talking to. And so there are times when I've worked with people where they are a little surprised by me showing up in a slightly different way. And if they're familiar with the disk, I'll say, oh, I'm using my C right now. So we need to be super detail oriented and super all about being accurate. Whereas later when I'm showing up as my I self, we can be, oh, what are we going to do today? What fun things are we going to be involved with? And, and so those are all facets of me and my authentic self. And I'm just giving myself as an example here.
0: When you go into an organization, do you do disk assessments? Is that what you do?
1: I have used it. Obviously, I'm happy to provide that as a service if some if if a company or an individual would like to have that peek into interconnectivity amongst their team. I'm super happy to provide that because I do find it very helpful.
0: And and so it's helpful because if you're dealing with a D, right, they might be very results oriented. They might be very competitive. Whereas if if you're uh, if you're an S, if you're into like steady, then uh, they might be like peaceful and uh try to be diplomatic and and supportive so sometimes they might clash right and so if if you're if you're an S a very strong S and you're dealing with a strong D at least it's good to be aware of that
1: Yes, one one of the the D is a great example of when you are communicating with a D, you want to be very direct. You want to be very specific, but not overly detailed. You want to give them a really broad view in a really quick encapsulation because they're go, 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 go. Let's get the details that we absolutely have to have in order to move forward and accomplish what we want to accomplish. So this isn't the time to talk about your weekend or whatever. You come in, hey, I need to talk to you about this. We need to go over this, and this is what I'm expecting to have by this. And they'll be like, Great. Whereas if you come in and you say that to a C or an S or an I, they're like, how rude, like you didn't even care about how I was doing today. You didn't even ask. And so those, those kind of communication breakdowns can cause a lot of issues if you're not aware of them.
0: And and, and I think one of the things I always find interesting about these systems is that uh, they're all helpful, right? I mean, if you prefer Myers-Briggs or you, know, you go into an organization and you're like, Oh, they're into the strengths-based model. And you're like, oh, okay, you know, then I can I could speak strengths. Or if you go into another organization and they're like, we're into the color energies. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm so red today. And and it, it, it gives people like a common language.
1: Yes, which I think is super helpful to be able to no one fits into a box and all of these assessments are trying to do that, but it gives you a way of understanding how to approach somebody. I have actually encountered organizations where as part of their new hire orientation that they have everyone take whatever their preferred assessment is. But in this particular example I'm going to use is that they have everyone do an, a disk assessment and then they actually put on their desk what their disk is and on their email signature line internally, they put, this is how I prefer to be communicated with and this is one thing you should never do. Do with me, and I think how useful is that to not have to stumble your way through a communication to be able to approach someone knowing how to make that connection more successfully.
0: Yeah, and it and and it uh, it also says like we 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 recognize differences, we try to respect differences. I get that I'm different. You know, I always say like some people walk around the workplace with a flashing neon sign. I'm a special case. I'm a special case. And I think those people are doing you a favor because turns out everybody's a special case. It's just that some people are good at hiding. it. Uh, so, so where does that fit with conversational intelligence? I mean, how much of conversational intelligence is situational? It's understanding like who you're talking with or are there tricks that work with anyone?
1: So conversational intelligence is based on the work by the late Dr. Judith Glaser, and it's very much neuroscience based in her and her husband's work. And of course, that's what drew me to it is because I'm a neuroscience nerd from my speech pathology background. Conversational intelligence is around the idea that the majority of our conversations in everyday life tend to be transactional ones. So I care about winning and it doesn't actually matter to me whether you win or not. You know, I need to win, whether or not that makes you happy. And so I may try to be nice about it, but really what I care about is me. And then taking it to more a positional or influential conversation, which is, I care a little more about you winning. I'd like it if you were happy about it. I'll use my position or my influential status as as your boss or whatever to, to get you to agree to it. But really, it's slightly more important to me still that I win. It's great if you win as well, but that's not my primary concern to taking it to the transformational conversation standpoint where the idea is we work together to co-create a solution that is a win for both of us, that often when you work together is actually better than what either one of you could come up with on your own. So yes, I do believe that conversational intelligence can be used with anybody and it's meant specifically for corporate conversations, um, but certainly a lot of the principles can be used for personal conversations as well. So there are, uh, I guess you would say tips and tricks and and I like your idea of the shared vocabulary because there's certainly things in conversational intelligence that are specific to that. Like one of the examples I will give is they have something called double clicking. And you think about what you do with a mouse is you double click when you want to open something up. So one of the shared vocabulary would be, Hey, you said something and I didn't quite understand it. Could I double click on that? And that's just code for, can you give me a little bit more explanation? Because maybe I misunderstood what you were saying uh, or used a term, you know, in in the medical field, I think we would be constantly saying, could you double click on that for me?
0: And so the idea of conversational intelligence is recognizing that there's kind of three different kinds of conversation and, and there are different kinds of conversations, right? Some conversations are really simple right? We're just going to exchange information. Um, some conversations are about persuasion. So if I'm, if I'm one of those influencers, right, if I'm a heavy disc eye, right, then I'm really into level two conversations. But level three is where you want to go, right? That's where you have a real exchange of meaning. But, but those conversations aren't appropriate for every situation, Right.
1: Absolutely. If you if you're going into a grocery store to exchange, you know, goods for money, you give them money, they give you goods, and you walk out and you're both happy. You don't need to say, How can we go create a solution for me to be able to get groceries today? You know, the solution is already there. It's on the shelf and you have the money, you pay for it. So you're absolutely right. You know, I don't think the grocery store clerk at that point wants to have a prolonged lifelong conversation with you about your grocery purchase.
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah, and if they do, you know, it's gonna be like, hey man, I gotta buy these peppers and get out of
1: here yes right? exactly that that will be the in-depth connective meaningful conversation you have there so, Excellent.
0: Uh, so in a minute we'll come back with Elaine Jacques leadership development coach uh, we're talking about uh, how to use DISC to understand yourself and others uh, how to use conversational intelligence to, to make better connections with people and uh, so we're going to take a little break and we'll be right back with Elaine Jacques Hello everyone. This is Mark Klingsheim with the Motivated to Lead podcast. Each week we interview leaders and they share lessons learned from their careers. Our goal is to help you become a better leader. Bruce has been a guest on our show and he shared some great content and each week we interview uh, people like Bruce who uh, bring some, some great information to help you grow as a leader. If you're enjoying this show, I think you would enjoy Motivated to Lead. You can subscribe or listen on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this show. Looking forward to having you join us at Motivated to Lead. All right, so we're back with Elaine Jacques, leadership development coach. Uh, she's an expert on DISC assessments and conversational intelligence. So, so, so one reason to do a DISC assessment or any kind of assessment is to better understand yourself. Uh, another reason is you start to have this way of understanding other people. Uh, Elaine pointed out that um, you know some organizations, uh, they use these assessments uh, so that people have a shared vocabulary. Uh, but let's say it's just you, like it's your little secret. You know, right? You tend to be a D, you tend to be strong, results-oriented, competitive. Can you use conversational intelligence to try to psych out who's a strong I, who's a strong C? How do you use these Techniques together. Wow,
1: that's a fun question. I I will say that that one of the things that the lovely people who uh, invented the disk say is to make sure that you don't just make assumptions. Is even if I know, say I do the assessment myself on somebody and I know, oh, they normally express as a high D. I can't assume that today is going to be a day when they do that. Maybe they didn't sleep very well. Maybe they're feeling really tired. Maybe they're feeling overly stressed. And so they're having a more relaxed day. We'll say it that way. So if I come in and say, okay, great, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to get to it and blah, 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 and go down the list and everything that may be totally overwhelming to them. So for me to be my most successful communication partner with them, I have to check in with people. I have to be open to how are you doing today? What are you expressing today? Just like I gave the example of myself, there are some times where I'm a super bouncy, bouncy, super social eye, and then other times where I'm very quiet and I'm very specific and I've got lots of details I wanna talk about and you know, I don't have a lot of time for socializing because I wanna focus on those details. And that's when I'm expressing my C. And if you don't check in with me to make sure that you know, well, which facet of Elaine are you dealing with today? you're either going to overwhelm me or you're going to talk right past me and probably will affront me in certain ways. And, you easily can do that with somebody else. So it is super important to make sure you're checking in with people to see how are things going today? Because what if they just got into a car accident or what if they just heard that one of their relatives is in the hospital and you come in and you expect them to be a certain way based on how they usually are, that can be very insensitive to them. So it is one thing that I'm I'm very careful of is be really, really open and read the room. You know, this as a public speaker, read the room, figure out what your audience is, is really resonating with. And then you do more of that rather than just keep barreling along with what you had in mind. You go with what actually is working, but you do have to be open to that.
0: And it's helpful to know, like if you tend to be a challenger, right, if you tend to be a strong DC and you tend to be blunt and you tend to be a challenger and you come into a room and something's not quite right, like maybe somebody did get in a car accident or maybe we just got some bad news. If you don't know who's in the room, you know, maybe you want to sort of try to take it down a few notches before you, you come in uh, like a bull in a china shop. And it's helpful to understand where other people are coming from. If they don't have this shared language, though, you can still use the insights, right? Of, oh, everybody's different. You know, this person seems more like a collaborator or, you know, this person seems more like a peacemaker. Like, it it can be helpful to have those types in mind, even if you don't push them on someone or impose them on someone.
1: Absolutely. 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 And being sensitive to that to say, while I'm working with someone who's always a peacemaker, this is probably not someone who's going to offer up their opinion on the topic. I'm probably going to need to allow them time to feel comfortable in the room and then ask them, you know, I'd love to get everyone's opinion because everyone's opinion is super important and that helps us make a good decision. You know, I'd like to go around the room and ask everyone for their opinion. It's probably a more successful way than Hey, just you know, spit it out there. Like everyone, put your ideas out on the table. For, you know, me and my S or C self, it's not gonna happen. You're not gonna hear from me. I'm gonna sit over there and be like, Oh Okay, yeah, not talking right now. Whereas my self would be like, oh, I did something super fun that I think would be super effective here. Let's talk about that. And and so it, you know, it will depend on those people whether or not you're gonna get the best version of themselves out of them as part of your team, unless you know how to speak to them.
0: Yeah, and it might be harder to to get, you know, the, the enthusiast always wants to tell everyone what they're thinking. The collaborator wants to make sure everybody's on board and giving their input, uh, but the technician might be the one who knows the most about what we're doing and might be the the most reluctant to speak up. And you got to get that person's input on the table. As a team leader, you've got to know how to get everybody involved in the conversation.
1: Absolutely. Because your Ds are going to be more likely to come with, this is the best solution. This is what we need to do. And I can't believe we're still talking about it. And they're the first ones to talk. You know, This is of course stereotypical. And if you allow that to happen, then you miss out on, well, actually, the see over here says, actually, we tried that last year and it didn't work and it cost us a lot of money. But this other thing was something that we were considering then that might be more effective now. So actually, it's interesting that the DISC assessment actually recommends that, Uh, The best teams have one of each category to get your most well-rounded experience and to be able to tap into the benefits of all of those types.
0: Yeah, and just in general, I mean, if you have people with diverse ways of thinking and diverse ways of uh, behaving, diverse ways of interacting, as long as everyone feels included, that tends to lead to better results.
1: Yes. How often
0: is it when there's, um, you know, a lack of conversational intelligence, putting this together with, uh, with the Glazer work, when there's a lack of conversational intelligence, how often is it that there's, you know, they're talking past each other, we're where somehow a matter of style? How often is it that that's what's going wrong in a conversation?
1: Oh, I I think we've all experienced talking to someone who has a very different style from us where you tend to shut down if someone is talking at you. Or at least that's how it feels. Or if someone's overwhelming you with detail, like, dude, I am really not that interested in this level of detail. You know, I don't need to actually know all the parts on the rocket ship. I just wanted to know, did it launch safely today? You know, those are the differences that if we don't understand and if we don't see that, oh, someone's eyes are glazing over; they're starting to do the body language thing of looking around or rolling their eyes, even, then you miss that this isn't no longer a conversation. You are just talking at that person. And that can go with someone finally gets brave enough to say something in a meeting and stereotypically a D jumps in and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard that before. Okay. Moving on. And now you've just cut off that avenue to benefit from that person's experience. As a team leader in that scenario, if you see that happen, say, I really appreciate your drive and your passion. It's super important to me as the leader that we tap into all the benefits and all the value that every one of us brings here. So I want to make sure that we maintain that everyone's voice is important. So Mr. Miss C over here, please go on. And, And to create that sense of Everybody's important here. And yes, we do have different styles of communicating, but you know, to use the conversational intelligence terminology is to say, how can we co-create the solution and respect that each person brings value, even if the C has way too many details for the D who's like, hypervision. Okay, we're ready. Let's go.
0: Right. So, so if you're having, for example, a team huddle, um, maybe the goal would be to have, you, you want to have brief team huddles, you want to have straightforward Uh, team huddles, but you want them to be uh, healthy and you want them to be good exchanges of information. And one of the best ways uh, to do that is to have everybody prepare for the conversation uh, or at least have the leader prepare by making sure there's a clear outcome that's intended for the conversation. There's an agenda. There's a goal we're coming here to have a conversation for a specific reason. That even works in one-on-ones, right? That if you come to a conversation uh, with a clear goal, with a clear agenda, and you're transparent about that, the conversation is going to go better.
1: And I love what you actually just said, because for a team leader to send out an email in advance, here's the agenda, here's what we hope to accomplish, here's the things I would like you to come prepared with, that person is going to be far more comfortable in the conversation when it does occur than for someone who doesn't need that prep. Say like your stereotypical I who just bounces into the room and who's like, oh, I'm so excited to be here and I brought cookies and whatever. They don't need that prep. But for the C, that is going to be the best possible chance of you having them to be ready to actually contribute to the conversation. So I like that. I like what you just said.
0: And, and, and the best way maybe to tame the eye is with an agenda.
1: Yes, yes. To say, you know, really appreciate your enthusiasm and your energy. I can't wait to focus you in the right direction. Let's get it on the table what we need to do because eyes do tend to struggle with that, Is is they're super enthusiastic about pretty much anything. Where you focus them is going to be really, really important to tap into their best benefit of driving it forward in a very uh, fun way.
0: If you're leading a conversation or if you're participating in a conversation and you start to feel either you're clashing or or you're talking past each other, or you're not connecting, you're not, you're not getting what you need out of the conversation. There's this this concept of reframing, refocusing, and redirecting.
1: Can you explain that? So to pause and say, you know, I don't feel like we're connecting here. That to use uh, conversational intelligence terminology, it's called making the invisible visible. It's bringing something down that, you know, in other terms might be bringing the elephant in the room, you know, out of invisible status. It's like everyone knows it's there. But if there is something, if there's a clash occurring between you and the team or between some of the team members to make that visible, to say, hey, you know what, we're just going to pause here because I feel like we're not going to be able to move forward until we address this, to reframe it as you know what? I really admire and respect all of you. I, you know, speaking as a team leader, I hired you all because I value each and every one of you. So that shows that general appreciation that creates that, hopefully that sense of psychological safety and that sense of let's all work together. We're all valued part of the team. And to, um, I guess another term is, you know, people like to say, name it to tame it. Say, you know what? We all have different communication styles. There are some of you here are great. At the execution phase, and we need you to be a part of that. There are some people who are great at bringing energy, and we need you as well. And there are some people who are good at keeping us accurate and on budget, which we need. And you all know we need that. This is the time where we have to accommodate all of us so that we can create the solution that's best for all of us. So I need you to help focus us all of us in the direction that we need to go and not get broken down on well i just want to do this part of it all the parts are necessary to make up the whole so that could be a way to reframe redirect you know to to uh, co-create that solution of let's move forward and how can we do that together recognizing there are differences but all of them are important
0: so here you are. Um, uh, you're, 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 uh, are, are you going to keep doing leadership coaching into your next decade? I mean, is this where you are? This is what or, or is it going to be like in your next decade, you're going to be an architect?
1: <laughs> One never knows with me, apparently. <laughs> well, the undercurrent theme for everything I've done in life is is just how can I help people? show up as our best selves? How can I help them communicate and connect with each other better? So I do expect that that probably will be the undercurrent theme for everything I do in life, whether or not it takes the form of coaching. Um, I'm already dabbling in something else, uh, that, that I have found really fascinating that unfortunately for our audience today, I'm not able to share yet, but it is something exciting and new and interesting for me. So. <laughs> all right. All right. All
0: right. Uh, well, I hope that you can bring it into your leadership coaching and, and, uh, if you, have, if you have one secret to success, is that what it is that always approach everything you do as trying to help people?
1: I would, I would say yes, but I would say for me personally, what I have found has helped me the most in life is to always keep learning and growing. I do laugh at myself that I apparently think if you're going to learn something, you might as well get certified in it. So I have a ridiculous number of certifications now, but I definitely think that that makes you a better person. And I will say from the hospital standpoint, the moment you decide, I know everything there is to know, you become inherently dangerous to patients because now you're providing less and less good care for them. For most of us in our other environments, you know, if you don't know everything there is to know, you're not likely to let anyone die, but, um... I do think it's so important to continue learning because it keeps you open-minded enough to recognize there's always more to learn. And it presents more opportunities for you. And it presents you with the option to say, yeah, this seems like an obstacle, but what can I learn from it so that I can use it, as you so eloquently said earlier, as a building block to be able to move forward, as I like to say, into becoming even more amazing as, as your future self. So I think everyone is amazing. You've gotten as far as you've gotten in your life because of everything that you've done. And let's go forward from here to become even more amazing.
0: Become even more amazing with Elaine Jacques, leadership development coach. Thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. In our next episode, I'll talk with Dr. Gene Kanakogi, who's a senior special agent for a U.S. government agency. So secret, I can't tell you what agency it is. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at go to underscore podcast. That's at go to underscore podcast. Learn more about go toism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and Stay Indispensable.